I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted the, the podcast. podcast. Yay. And this is our 150th episode. Believe it or not, um, I looked back yesterday to see when we started doing this podcast, and it was, I think, December 2nd, 2020. Yes. Which is three years ago, which is hard to believe. And we were right in the middle of the pandemic, and I remember how scary that was and everything going on at the time. And uh, fortunately, we're out of that now, and I've got my own podcast desk set up now as opposed to out front by the street where all the cars go by. And uh, we've sorted out the technical issues that we had since then, and we've got um, thousands of followers minus a few hundred. (laughs) learned from mistakes we're wiser yeah Um, handsomer and uh all all around better so it's been a good three years um and we want to give you guys something for listening to us so what we're going to do theo what are we going to do to celebrate our 150th episode our sesquicentennial episode 150 we are giving away a t-shirt so we will randomly select um from emails, a worthy yes. list. All listeners are worthy, but the one who gets the T-shirt <laughs> is more worthy. Um, and so send us an email at Theo at ApologiesAccepted.net, and um, we'll pull through. We'll s- include your mailing address, or we'll email you back and ask for it, and then we'll have to have a conversation. It'll become a thing. So, <laughs> And we'll be friends forever. <laughs> well, we already are. <laughs> So you can see the t-shirt design, which is a beautiful design that I love, and it was designed by my husband. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's a beautiful and, design that I made. No, I did not make it. My husband made it, our engineer uh, and dog's body, uh, and you can see it at apologiesaccepted.net. If you go to the Instagram site link there um, at apologiesaccepted.net, you can see the t-shirt, and then just uh, email Theo at apologiesaccepted.net, as he said, to win the t-shirt so again we'll select uh randomly from the the millions of people who email us asking to win the t-shirt so yeah awesome I, yes I, well i want to say um and i realize this is a bit ungenerous and unfair but i think brent is the best producer the show has ever had oh absolutely no i question. say that for all the controversy it will stir up <laughs> it's a gorgeous design i actually am so excited about it um, I was going to order three shirts last night, and then I was like, you know, order one and see how that one fits, and then yeah. you can go back and adjust. Yeah, I ordered one for myself, too, so I'm going to check it out and see how the women's shirt works, and then uh, we can report back to you guys and let you know if they are sized big or small or however, and maybe we'll make a link available so you can buy your own. Uh, who knows? We'll see what the response no, is. No, we will this. not do that. We will keep it private and secret, and nobody <laughs> can have it. special people. Okay. Only the winner right, and enough. us. So what's shaking bacon other than the 150th episode? 150? Oh, my God. When you said three years, I was like, what? I know, right? No. It doesn't seem like three years. Impossible. Impossible. Um, okay. So totally moved. All the cardboard is unpacked. I've got Excellent. a goodwill run I have to make to mm-hmm. drop things off. Um, and then it's kind of, and then it's just fine tuning. It's moving the knickknacks around or whatever, but all right, great. And so because we were all set up, our friend Matt came to visit and he was like, yeah, I'm going to come to you, visit you guys in the new house. Yay. Awesome. Yay. Um, thank God I know where the sheets are. So <laughs> Matt came and, um, he's so nice. He is so Aww. lovely. Uh, and. We were going out for dinner last. This is how lovely Matt is. This is what the mm-hmm. story is about. 
So we were going out for dinner and I had booked this restaurant, which is like, a, it's not like, it's a Chinese hot pot. And so basically uh-huh. it's like shabu shabu oh. or whatever. I'd never yeah. heard of hot pot, didn't know, but I, I get it, right? So super fun, couldn't wait. It's very popular. It's very busy. And yeah. they sent me two text messages saying, hey, you booked this reservation. Do you really mean it? Are, <laughs> are you coming? You know, it's supposed to be 830. You better be here at 830. Uh, Hit yeah. C to confirm, and you better stand on your right foot. And then the second text yeah. message was basically the same thing, right? So right. that puts me into hyper overdrive to be there on time. Now, I've been there before without a reservation. They're like, uh, it's an hour and a half wait, and we might not be able to let you in, and blah. So, so I told everybody 30 minutes before we were supposed to leave, hey, we have to leave the house in 30 minutes. Got to be in the car in 30 minutes. Okay, great. So, of course, that means that 30 minutes later, mm-hmm. nobody has moved. No oh one's done a thing, right? Oh, my gosh. And so I go instantly from mellow to <laughs> drill sergeant, uh-huh. right? And so I was uh-huh. like, you guys, I don't know what to tell you. We are supposed to be leaving now. Yeah. And you're doing emails and you're laying in bed looking at your iPad. This doesn't <laughs> look like you're in the car to me. Yeah. So, so I'm forcing them along, just kind of like that, and in that tone, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah, naturally. That as me, one does. As one does. Well, <laughs> hi, thank you for being reasonable and understanding <laughs> right. how the world works. Absolutely, you got to get people moving. Yeah, and you have to be places on time or of close, especially to when on they email time. you like three times, reminding yes. you to be on time. Especially for Chinese Serious hot pots. Come on. Oh yeah. So. Matt turned to me, and I honestly, I had been so bossy and so drill sergeant with him, <laughs> right? I even said, like, Matt, you you have a phone. You can type that email on your phone. You don't have to sit on the couch and use your laptop to do this. You you can do it in the car. What are you doing uh-huh. that's that important? Uh-huh. I mean, I will say he has a big, important job, but sure, not as important as Chinese hot pot. No, and nothing is. Nothing. And so Matt said... I'll say, Theo, you're jolly good at this. <laughs> and I wanted to hug him. I went straight <laughs> from being pissed off. And happily, we got there on time. Oh, yay. Thank you to 80 miles an hour on the freeway. Um, <laughs> and so I'll say, like, that's what's shaking bacon. Our friend is here. The house is done. Um, and I am... Not as exhausted as I was last week, but oh man, I was still like a little wrung out from moving. It's the worst. Yeah, it is hard. It's emotionally and physically difficult. So Just, yeah, good for you for making your way through it. Oh well, a and hero. I like the way you've got the candles arranged on the tray in the background there, which I'm looking at. It's it's beautiful uh, on Thank your you. little uh, chest. So everything looks fantastic. Your house is gorgeous. It always um, is. Always will be. Yeah, absolutely. That's how yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll say that um, given the collection of toys and random thrift store finds that I um, can't keep from buying. <laughs> it's amazing I can walk in this place. Uh, okay. But uh, boo, enough about all that. What's going on with you? What's shaking bacon? Well, what is my bacon for this week? Um, I have uh, I had a work goodbye dinner on Wednesday, I think it was, of this week. So Aww. this is my last week um, at my job, my last official week, although they're going to pay me through the 6th of October, which is nice of them. Um, well, I get paid more money. I get a severance, which is, thank God, is nice of them. Um, but I've got to start looking for work as soon as I get back from all my travels next, next month or this month. I'm not sure. Oh, it is October already. Oh, my God, it's October already. How did that happen? It was just summer. Um but anyway, so I had a nice work goodbye dinner at a nice restaurant with like 15 people that um, for some reason I ended up scheduling myself. I don't know why, but I guess because I'm the woman, that's the natural thing to ask the woman to You're do is to schedule the dinner. So, <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> I'm the only one that can manage to get anything done around <laughs> here or around anywhere. Um, and so that was nice. That was pleasant. Um, I didn't get really drunk and make any uh, embarrassing um faux pas which was nice um didn't drink at all which is which was nice um not that i have trouble drinking not that you should think that i do uh i don't i hardly ever drink anymore so um it would have only taken one drink to get me acting silly so it's good that i didn't um and then uh, the only other thing of note is that i got some vaccines so i got my flu shot and my covid shot and uh, didn't have any side effects from either one. Oh, that's great so that was good 
and uh, looking forward to going to Sweden on Saturday, Friday, Friday of this coming week um, for a few days with my cousin Heather, which should be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, after that, Joshua Tree, and after that, New York City. And uh, then hopefully I'll find a job and go back to work. Not that I'm looking forward to that uh, after all this time of, of barely working, um, having very little to do compared to how busy I was when it was just uh, the company that, um, that got bought. But um, I'm out of the habit of working now, so I'm going to have to get back in the habit. Probably have to go back hybrid or maybe even full-time, heaven forbid. So we'll see. All that remains to be seen. Well, right. That's for the future. Yes, that's for future Juliet to worry about. Exactly. You don't have to worry about that at all. Where in Sweden are you going to? Because apparently it's a big country. Yes. So we're going to Stockholm and I got a little guidebook about Stockholm and things to look at. And there's another ship there that they like people to go and tour around, which is fun because we went to the the Viking ship um, uh, in Oslo. And now there's another ship. uh, I don't really know the history of it in in Stockholm. So I just want to go. So my cousin wants to see this band or this couple of people who play music um, on the 8th. And uh, I just want to go and check that out and have some nice food and do some nice walking around and see some new things and have, maybe have some good pastries and coffee. And then, then I'll be cool. So I don't have a lot of high expectations for this trip. Maybe see. Well, a couple, I, I would lower those good food expectations in Sweden because it's like <laughs> uh, just fish and like pickled fish and brine fish and gross fish. And, and this is based on? Uh, uh, Ikea. <laughs> I get meatballs. I think you have meatballs. Well, meatballs and gravy. Yeah, that's so true. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I'll let you know Sorry, when I get back what the food situation was like. Um, yeah. Please, all Swedish people, write to us and maybe we'll give you an extra entry in our t shirt uh, lottery if you're Swedish. Um, but you kidding. have to prove it. You have to prove that you're Swedish. You have to prove that you're yes. Swedish. So, um, what are we talking about this week, Mr. Theo? We are talking about an incident that happened um, up north it, to our friendly neighbor. Our neighbor's our hat. America's hat. Yes. Yes. And it's not like Canada to F up like this. I mean, outside of the institutional abuse of children by the Catholic Church in Canada. Um, <laughs> and every other thing they've ever done that is questionable. Yeah, but this um, one, boy. Yeah. Yeah. So last week, Canada's prime minister... Justin Trudeau, Mr. Handsome, offered an apology for honoring a 98-year-old Ukrainian veteran of a Nazi unit in the House of Commons. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was visiting at the time. Uh, Trudeau and Canada's House of Commons gave the man a standing ovation, but it turned out, they found out later, that the man had served in the Waffen-SS Galicia Division which the Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center describes as a Nazi military unit whose crimes against humanity during the Holocaust are well documented. Vladimir Zelensky had come to Canada as part of a tour aimed at strengthening Western support for Ukraine in its fight against the Russian invasion. Now, the day before Trudeau apologized... Oh, yes, yes. Oh, no, I was just going to say, talk about a major fuck-up. I mean, Mm. this, this goes beyond, oh, oops, we honored a Nazi... Right. Yeah. To, bad enough there. OK. Yeah. But yeah. this feeds directly into Russian propaganda. The exactly. whole reason that Russia is invading the Ukraine, it, it, as Putin is telling the Russian people, is to right. rescue the Ukrainians from the, from the Nazis. Because Zelensky, who is Jewish, apparently is also somehow yep. a Nazi. He is Jewish. Right. He is Jewish and he lost family in the Holocaust. Yes. And then this happens, and so it's given Russia great photos, lots of talking points. It sort of proves yeah. Putin's point that, like, look, the Ukrainians really are Nazi sympathizers. And and how? But we're going to find out how. Right. How, how would such a thing happen? Well, the day before Trudeau's apology, Speaker Anthony Rhoda took responsibility for having invited the Nazi to the House for recognition, and he resigned. Uh, Rhoda had, of course, during the ceremony, publicly called the uh, the man a war hero, and uh, Canada's conservative leader also took advantage of the opportunity um, to repeatedly call on the prime minister to take personal responsibility for his quote personal failure to vet all attendees, despite parliamentary protocol that the speaker's guest list is not shared with the prime minister's office in advance. So it is protocol that that um, what's his name Trudeau would not know that this guy was coming 
to uh, to be honored, which seems weird to me. I would want to know if it were me, if I were sp- prime minister, I'd want to know who I was going to be honoring. But it's apparently, uh, the speaker's guest list is a whole separate thing, and it's completely under the the remit, I, I guess, of this of the speaker, which is why the speaker took responsibility, and it it makes. What Trudeau said, um, a little less egregious because he totally threw um, Anthony Rota under the bus. He said, the speaker was solely responsible for the invitation and recognition of this man and has wholly accepted that responsibility and stepped down. This was a mistake that has deeply embarrassed Parliament and Canada. All of us who were in this house on Friday regret deeply having stood and clapped, even though we did so unaware of the context. I saw a thing on um, Twitter, it's a little video clip. And um, it's everybody applauding and the uh, guy standing up. And then somebody uh, did a little audio voiceover. And and the guy did something like he put his thumb up in the air, right? Like, hey. Uh-huh. And uh, when he does that, they said, Heil! <laughs> and it looked real enough to me. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's it was a major fuck up. This is yeah. this is oh, wow. Yeah, as Theo said, the one reason this is such a hot button issue is that Russia has portrayed its invasion of Ukraine as a war against Ukrainian Nazis. Um, Russia, of course, sees the opportunity to condemn Canada and its sloppy attitude towards remembering the Nazi regime. And in response, Trudeau said, it is extremely troubling to think that this egregious error is being politicized by Russia and its supporters to provide false propaganda about what Ukraine is fighting for. And uh, the conservative leader, Pierre Polievre, described the event honoring the former Nazi soldier as, quote, the biggest single diplomatic embarrassment in the country's history, which surely must be an overstatement. I was, it cannot possibly... I, I'm like, yeah, I, sure, I bet. It cannot possibly be the biggest single diplomatic embarrassment in Canada's history. I mean, they must have done things during wars, and I, I, I'm just speculating, not knowing anything about Canadian history. That There's not much to done. know. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> Canada's just really nice, and they go along being nice to everybody, and everybody gets along with them, and, and they do this thing, and it is the biggest single diplomatic embarrassment in the country's history. Sure. So it's it's a big one. We'll, we can yeah, say like yeah. that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you want to talk about the apology or do you have any information, any background information for us? Uh, well, so I was like, oh, God, Nazis. Yeah. Ugh, ugh, that's a downer. Um, big downer. And so I looked at a hero. I looked, you looked at, at a what? I looked at a hero. You did? That's a word oh for gosh. a really good person who does good a things. A Nazi hero? <laughs> yes, I looked at a Nazi <laughs> hero. He <laughs> was responsible for so many, so many atrocities. Um, oh, my God. No, I looked at a hero. I looked at Simon Wiesenthal. Um, oh, good. I figured, what better than the opposite of a Nazi? Um, yes. So for our listeners who don't know, uh, the Simon Wiesenthal Center uh, operates Museum of Tolerance, and it's named after... Peter Christhelm. No, it's named after Simon Wiesenthal. Um, he was known as a Nazi hunter or the deputy of the dead. And uh, he encouraged a mythology to develop about his organization and his work, uh, that he was as powerful as the CIA, KGB, and Mossad combined. Uh, oh, wow. He fostered the belief that he was a Jewish James Bond. But in truth, he was uh, one man committed to justice and he understood he was only as powerful as the myth about him. Why would anybody listen to some guy phoning from a small office in Austria? Why mm-hmm. would the minister of justice in Germany take a call from a nobody? To be seen as powerfully connected and relentless, this is what got ministers and presidents on the phone when Simon called. Wow. Um, everything that followed after that phone call was simply human decency and the innate desire to see good come from evil. So Wiesenthal was born on New Year's Eve, December 31st in 1908. And now there's a lot of German words. There's a mm. lot of like Russian words. There's a lot of place names and I'm going to slaughter them all. Um, yay. Let, yay. Let's go. Go so, for it. Uh, so basically he was born in a uh, part of um, Austria-Hungary. He was technically born in the Kingdom of Galicia or Galicia. Um, and that's now the Ukraine, right? So yeah. Poland, Ukraine, 
World War II, redid the map, so we would now know it as the Ukraine. Uh, his father had emigrated from the Russian Empire in 1905 to escape persecution against Jews, and his dad was called to active duty in World War I in 1914, and he died uh, in the war. So uh, Simon and his brother and his mother fled to Vienna as the Russian army took control of Galicia, uh, which I believe I am mispronouncing. Uh, I'm giving it the Spanish here. Uh, the two boys attended a German-language Jewish school, and the family returned to the hometown in Poland in 1917 after the Russians left. Uh, Wiesenthal and his brother attended school where classes were taught in Polish, and you might remember from our episode about Madame Curie that mm -hmm. in Poland, Polish had been outlawed, the Russians had made uh, the Russian language the official language, so mm -hmm. the fact that they were able to go to school in uh and study in their native Polish language is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Simon met his wife, Celia, uh, in high school, and he married her in 1936. He was interested in drawing, and he studied architecture. Uh, his life plan was to be a husband to Celia and an architect, a Jewish architect in the Poland-Ukraine region. Mm -hmm. uh, World War II began in September of 1939 when the Nazis invaded Poland. Um, and as a result of partitioning Poland between Germany and the Soviet Union, uh, lots of place names here, but Simon uh, ended up in the Russian-controlled region. Um, Wiesenthal's mother moved in with Celia and Simon, and the Soviets had basically, um, they were starting to export Jews and uh, I don't know where the Soviets were sending them to. Wiesenthal bribed uh, an official to prevent his deportation under Clause 11, a rule that prevented Jewish professionals in and intellectuals from living within 100 kilometers of the city. Um, by mid-July, uh, Wiesenthal and other Jewish residents had to register to do forced labor, Within six months, in November of 1941, the Nazis oh, wow. had set up a ghetto using uh, Jewish forced labor to build the ghetto. All the Jews had to give up their homes and move there, a process that took several months. Several thousand Jews were murdered um, by Ukrainian nationals and German Einzelgruppen. That's mm -hmm. as good as I'm going to get. Um in his autobiographies, Wiesenthal tells how he was arrested on July 6th, but saved from execution by a former foreman, a man named Bondar, who was a member of the Ukrainian Auxiliary Police. Um, so Wiesenthal was his own best champion, and mm -hmm. he was a bit of a storyteller. Mm. The stories don't remain consistent. So rather like um, Hassan Minaj will say uh -huh. there's an emotional truth to uh -huh. the Wiesenthal stories, right. uh, but things start to get sloppy and confusing. Um, it's not to say that nobody knows anything factually about him. It's right. just some of the things in his autobiographies and memoirs um, may be exaggerations. Um, yeah. Okay. So in late 1941, Wiesenthal and his wife were transferred to a concentration camp. Um, he painted swastikas and uh, other inscriptions on captured Soviet railway engines, and Celia was put to work polishing brass and nickel on the trains. Uh, Wiesenthal somehow obtains false identity papers for his wife, and um, a Polish underground organization helps her get to Warsaw, she was blonde, and so she passed as an Aryan, and mm. she worked under a secret identity as a civilian in a German radio factory. Uh, wow. She spent time in two labor camps as well, though. Um, conditions wow. were harsh, harsh, and her health was permanently damaged, but she did survive the war. The couple was reunited in 1945, and their daughter, Paulinka, was born the following year. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the name Paulinka. I want to yeah. make fun of it. Yeah. Um, all right. So Simon was sent to five different camps during the war. Uh, he was liberated in May of 1945. Ten days after his liberation, he gave the Americans a list of over 100 names. 
And he said, these are the people I want you to know about. Uh, he weighed 88 pounds. Damn. Yeah. And we have to pause for a moment to remember that this is war-ravaged Europe, right? And he'd been freed with nothing. Yeah. Left with nothing. Where does he find the paper? Where does he find the ink? Uh, where right. does he find the fortitude of mind to come up with such a list? How does he remember 100 names? Yeah. Well, my guess is, and I don't know this, but my guess is that he talked with other survivors. I see. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, his list contained the names of mostly guards, camp commanders, and members of the Gestapo. Uh, Simon didn't believe in collective guilt, but rather the moral responsibility of the individual. And he believed in justice. So, you know, it's war. And at that time, probably even today, we might say things like, well, those Nazis were sure bad. Okay, what's for lunch on Wednesday? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and of course, there's also the idea that like uh, in wartime, you you forgive people for their actions, but uh, no, not when it comes to the murder of civilians, right? right? You forgive people for their actions against other humans who are serving in the military because it's kill or be killed, defend yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so Simon kind, it's not even kind of, so uh, Simon just made sure that that sort of um, collective forgiveness right. was... Uh, was did not include Nazis. Um, For Simon, the Holocaust was a crime against humanity, uh, and the Jews were part of humanity. His goal was to ensure that such a thing could never happen again in the world to anyone. He's been called a Nazi hunter, but it's more true that he was haunted by what happened to him in the camps. These are a couple of his camp stories. Um, Again, a grain of salt, but at the same time, some of this is, is documented. So, according to Wiesenthal, on April 20th, 1943, Second Lieutenant Gustav Wilhaus, who was second in command at a camp, uh, decided to shoot 54 Jewish intellectuals in celebration of Hitler's 54th birthday. He wasn't able to find enough uh, Jewish intellectuals still alive in his camp, so he ordered a roundup of other prisoners from satellite camps. Wiesenthal and two other inmates were taken from uh, his camp and they were sent to the execution site, which was a trench that was six feet deep and 1,500 mm. feet long. Um, he was stripped and led through a seven foot barbed wire corridor to the execution ground. Victims were, of course, lined up and then shot and their bodies fell into the pit. Wiesenthal stood there waiting to be shot, but he heard somebody call his name. He turned around, um, and a guy named, and I'm going to get this so wrong, Karl Rotz, that's how I'm going to pronounce it, um, mm-hmm. had had convinced his own bosses that Wiesenthal uh, was um, an artist and would be able to paint a giant poster in honor of Hitler's birthday. Oh, so, wow. uh, so his Terrifying. architectural, since he was an architect, yeah, right, he could draw. Um, and this guy, Kalrotz, uh, had been the assistant to one of the managers of the camp. And mm-hmm. uh, Wiesenthal was, in, I was going to say employed, he wasn't employed. Wiesenthal, uh, the, the Nazis used Wiesenthal's talents to create drawings for things they wanted to build, etc., around the camp. And this mm-hmm. guy, Kohlrutz, would sign his own name to some of Wiesenthal's uh, schematics and drawings and take mm-hmm. the credit for the work. Right. Because um, you can't have a Jew doing it. Right. Well, and, and probably that as well. Um, okay, so on October 2nd, 1943, and again, according to Wiesenthal, Kohlrutz... Um, same guy that rescued him from the sand pit, um, said, hey, listen, uh, they're going to be clearing out this camp. And so I'm going to send you and your buddy into town to get some stationery. And when you're in town, 
try not to come back. Oh, wow. Uh, and so uh, Wiesenthal and his, um, I'll say, I'll use the word friend. I don't know if they were friends. Uh, a guy named Arthur um, Schemann escaped out of the back of a shop while the guards stood at the front of a store. Um, after several days in hiding, Wiesenthal was taken by members of the underground to the nearby village where he remained until the end of 1943. Uh, soon afterwards, uh, his camp was liquidated, um, but this made it unsafe to be in the countryside because, of course, some, some of the uh, captives had escaped. And so... Uh, the Nazis were in the woods with dogs looking for people. Um, wow. Wiesenthal managed to return to his hometown where he spent three days hiding in a closet apartment. Um, he was then moved to the apartment of Paulina Busch, uh, for whom he had previously forged an identity card. And he was oh. arrested there hiding under the floorboards and he was taken to a camp. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but he does. I mean, obviously, he does survive. Uh, he never yeah. returned to architecture. Um, mm. Though most of the Jews still alive in Linz had emigrated after the war, Wiesenthal decided to remain, partly because the family of Adolf Eichmann, who was this big Nazi guy, for our listeners who may not be very familiar with World War II, uh, the family of Adolf Eichmann lived a few blocks away from Wiesenthal. Eichmann had been in charge of the transportation and deportation of Jews um, and this was part of the Nazi final solution to the Jewish question, um, which, of course, was the Nazi plan to exterminate all the Jews in Europe. After the war, Eichmann hid in Austria using forged paper, um, or, sorry, using forged identity papers until 1950. Then he goes to Italy and eventually he lands in Argentina, where he lived under an assumed name, Ricardo Clement. Hmm which is the dumbest assumed name, but okay. Um, hoping to obtain information on Eichmann's whereabouts, Wiesenthal continuously monitored the remaining family members uh, in Linz until they vanished in 1952. Wiesenthal eventually learns from a letter shown to him in 1953 that Eichmann had been seen in Buenos Aires, and he passed that information along to the Israeli consulate in Vienna. The uh, prosecutor general um, received independent confirmation of Eichmann's whereabouts in 1957, but the German agents were unable to find him. And up through uh, 1960, when Eichmann's father died, so they, so just to kind of recap this here a little bit. So Eichmann's hiding in Argentina, he's in Buenos Aires, and Wiesenthal has the idea that, hey, this guy's family must have some connection with him. I'll keep an eye on them. And uh, the family disappears, but uh, the father is known to have died. And Wiesenthal makes arrangements for private detectives to photograph family members at the funeral because Otto Eichmann who was the brother of Adolf, was said to look a lot like Adolf. So the two brothers look alike, and uh, Wiesenthal gets a photograph of Otto Eichmann, the brother, and he gives it to the Mossad agents. And Mossad, with the use of that photograph, tracks down uh, Eichmann in Buenos Aires. So, fantastic. Um, and because of this... Uh, Wiesenthal becomes a minor celebrity. Mossad says, hey, thanks to this guy and the photo of the brother and the idea that the two brothers look alike, we've been looking for Eichmann for years and we have found him. So thank you so much, Wiesenthal. Mm -hmm. um, Wiesenthal wrote a book about his experience called I Chased Eichmann, A True Story. I am not going to read you the German translation because one mm -hmm. of the words is Tatsaskankenbrecht. So, no, thank you. Um, the book was published six weeks before the trial of Eichmann. Uh, Wiesenthal helped prepare the prosecution. Sorry, helped. Yeah, help the prosecution prepare their case. And Eichmann was found guilty and sentenced to death and hanged on June 1st of 1962. 
this is what brings uh, Wiesenthal into the, we'll, we'll say the limelight. I, mm-hmm. I am struggling with words here, but this is what brings uh, attention to Wiesenthal and, uh, and then sort of sets him on his path. This is, this is his calling to find Nazi war criminals and bring them to justice. Uh, his wife wanted to move to Israel, but Simon said, my work will be seen as Israeli propaganda if I live in Israel. So I will continue to work in Austria. Mm. Um, and so I'll share a little bit of um, how, like most of our heroes, he's not an easy person. Uh-huh. He's complicated. Yeah. And so um, the, Kurt, uh, the name Kurt Waldheim might sound familiar. Uh, Kurt Waldheim was named the General Secretary of the United Nations in 71. And Wiesenthal said, oh, this guy's not a Nazi, as did the American Counterintelligence Corps and the Office of Strategic Services for the USA. Mm-hmm. However, Waldheim was on active duty in 1952, sorry, 1942, posted in Yugoslavia and Greece, and he had knowledge of the murder of civilians. Uh, mm. An Austrian magazine published this in March of 1986 with proof. Um, and of course... Waldheim was running for the presidency of Austria. And this was very embarrassing for Mm. Wiesenthal. Um, And Waldheim had won the presidency and Wiesenthal called for him to step down, as did the World Jewish Congress, uh, Mm -hmm. but he did not. Mm. Um, And the World Jewish Congress was like, hey, Simon... Really? You should have done your homework a little bit better. Now, I point that out because in 1985, the Nobel uh, Peace Prize was uh, was happening. Okay, hi. <laughs> That's a thing. Um, and the rumor had it that the Nobel Prize would be given to a Holocaust survivor or Holocaust-related candidate. Mm-hmm. So there were two people who were nominated, um, Eli um, Weasel. Weasel. And yeah. uh, and Wiesenthal and Eli Wiesel uh, started doing. Sorry, how do you pronounce his name? Ellie Wiesel. Thank you. I knew it could <laughs> be Wiesel. Um, <laughs> that's awful. Uh, but he was a bit of a weasel because he goes out and he starts campaigning for this, right? Uh-huh. So he's doing lectures in France and Ethiopia and Oslo. Uh, and he's uh-huh. doing humanitarian work around the world. Um, so Rabbi Heyer of the Wiesenthal Center urged Wiesenthal to lobby for the prize as well. But Wiesenthal mm-hmm. did very little to promote his own candidacy. So when the other guy, whose name I can't mm-hmm. pronounce, was Ellie awarded the prize in 1986, Wiesenthal claimed that the World Jewish Congress must have influenced the committee's decision. A claim that the World oh. Jewish... Yeah, they denied um, and so some hard feelings there. Uh, and then yeah. lastly, the Simon Wiesenthal Center was established in 1977 by Rabbi Marvin Heyer, who's the guy that was like, hey, you should campaign for the Nobel Prize. Oh, yeah. He paid Wiesenthal uh, for the right to use the name. The center uh, helped with the campaign to remove the statute of limitations on Nazi crimes and continued the hunt for suspected Nazi war criminals. But today, its primary activities include the Holocaust Remembrance, uh, the Museum of Tolerance, and uh, they're well known, of course, for fighting anti-Semitism. Wiesenthal was not always happy with the way the center was run. Um, He thought the center's Holocaust Museum was not dignified enough, and he thought that there Uh, he should have a larger say in the overall operations. Uh, He wrote to the board of directors requesting hires removal, but in the end had to be content with being a figurehead. So Rabbi Heyer, who paid to have the Simon Wiesenthal Center funded, created the Simon Wiesenthal Center. And now Simon Wiesenthal is like, hey, thanks for creating something in my name and spending all that money on it. But now you got to get out of here because I don't like the way you're running things. Yeah. So uh, Uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say unthankful, but 
I'd say I'm thankful. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, complicated heroes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's my Nazi job, dodge. I did not want to go down the Nazi road. Trudeau, whose name I managed to forget in the five minutes between the last time I mentioned him and this time, um, but his name is Trudeau, uh, said, uh, as, as his apology, I'm going to read it to you now, get ready. On behalf of all of us in this house, I would like to present unreserved apologies for what took place on Friday and to President Zelensky and the Ukrainian delegation for the position they were put in. For all of us who were present, to have unknowingly recognized this individual was a terrible mistake and a violation of the memory of those who suffered grievously at the hands of the Nazi regime. He said he recognized that this mistake had deeply embarrassed Parliament and Canada. Um, let's see. It was a horrendous violation. I said that if a memory of those whose people died in the Holocaust, it was deeply, deeply painful for Jewish people, he said. It also hurt Polish people, Roma people, 2S LGBTQI plus people, disabled people, racialized people, and the many millions who were targeted by the Nazi genocide. So that's the apology I got. I think that's the complete apology. Um, it was difficult to find the text online, so I had to piece it together from different news articles. But um, I'm pretty sure that's the, the whole of it. Uh, so let's take a look at this apology and see how it stacks up. Um, was there an expression of regret? Yes. Uh, was there an explanation of what went wrong? Yes. Uh, maybe a little bit separately. He blamed it on basically um, the, the dude whose name I have completely forgotten now. Um, right. His speaker. Yeah. Uh, was there an acknowledgement of responsibility? Uh, no, because he blamed it on the speaker. Uh, was there a declaration of repentance? Yes. Was there an offer of repair? No, he didn't say, you know, I'm going to vet all of the names of everybody who comes before the the, um, the prime minister uh, going forward. No, he didn't do that. And there was not really a, a, a specific request for forgiveness. So I'm going to give this apology a five out of ten. And I'd like to hear what you think of the apology, Theo. So once again, we are very close. I gave it a six. Oh, cool. I felt like it was oh a gosh. little better than average, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It didn't quite go as far. Well, it was, it's a political apology, yes. right? And so, yeah. And also, how do you apologize for that? I mean, I get yeah. like, oh, there's this stupid rule, which hopefully they're going to change now because this is a good reason to change that rule. Right. Where I can't know who's coming to the party, but I have to, like, (laughs) give them a piece of cake. And And I'm responsible for them being there, sort of. Yeah. And so that happened. And, uh, huh? But it's the other guy's (laughs) fault. So, I mean, no, it's kind of like, uh, how do you apologize for something that's not quite your fault? But at at the same time, I think they just don't let anybody into the chamber, right? Because he could have a gun. He could kill the prime minister. Sure. You could have killed sure. Zelensky. How, how, sure. Who is it who is in the room? Somebody yeah. somewhere's got to know that who works for the prime minister's office. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. So, but, it, but it, I'm going into all the negative things for like why it's not an eight. And so right. it's a six, slightly better than average because God, he's good looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so that's a 5.5 average. Um, yeah, slightly, uh, for the yeah, slightly better than Lauren Boebert. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot better than Lauren Boebert, isn't it? Well, we did give her negative 7,000 and a half. <laughs> yes. All right, so uh, let's see. Apology expected or who's sorry now? Um, I have one. Do you? I do. Yes. You do? Let's, I do. Let's hear it. Okay, great. Uh, so a better apology expected, a more truthful apology expected from Jamal Bowman, who's a Democratic huh. U.S. representative. Uh, oh. He's under investigation because he pulled a fire alarm. Oh, really? Yes, when Congress was in session. So really, basically, remember that so shutdown? That was true. I heard there was a joke. I heard a joke about it, but I didn't realize that it actually had happened. Oh, um, yeah. Police are investigating the incident. Um, and so basically, from what I understand, well, we'll just pick it up straight from the news article. Uh, the House was about to open a vote on a bipartisan bill to keep the government open for 45 days and avoid a shutdown which was going to happen on September 30th and would have been a big deal. 
The bill ultimately passed with near unanimous Democratic support. Um, But the Republicans were like, hey, we're going to have this vote. We're not going to tell you what the vote's about, but it's going to be coming up. And we're going to release all the information for you to read a few minutes before the vote. And I guess all of that is perfectly legal in Congress. So talk mm. about stupid rules that need to be changed. Canada's not right. the only country with them. Um, oh. And so, and so um, Jamal Bowman was rushing to the meeting and Democrats were scrambling, trying to understand what it was they were going to be agreeing or not agreeing to in order to keep the government open. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically uh it's it's um, an agreement that strips out funding for Ukraine, uh, right? And so that's the piece that sucks. So there was one Democrat who said no to it, and that's because he's from a large Ukrainian U.S. district. Right. But so Bowman's rushing to the meeting and says, today, as I was rushing to make a vote, I came to a door that is usually open for votes, but today would not open. So I'm embarrassed to admit that I activated the fire alarm, mistakenly thinking it would open the door. I regret this and sincerely apologize for any confusion this caused. And so here's what I like about it. Republicans played a dirty trick. We're going to use the House rules to get you guys to sign something that's going to keep the government open, which is what you need to do. But also we're going to make sure that like, we get a thing in there that, that we want, which is no funding for the Ukrainian war. Uh, and you have five minutes to read this 30,000 page document. Oh gosh, this door won't open. Oh no. Oh, what am I going to do? Oh, maybe this switch will open it. Oh, that set off the fire alarm. Oh, everybody has to evacuate. Oh, look at all the extra time we have. Gosh, I'm sorry. Genius. Awesome. Do you need to apologize for that? No, no, sir. You win. You're a hero. But at the same time, there'll be a better apology coming out. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. So I'm Republicans sure are calling will. for him to resign. Guys, grab a napkin <laughs> and eat a dick. He's not, <laughs> not going to do that. All right, that's a good one. Um, my apology expected is from Lawrence Fox, who's an English actor, broadcaster, musician, and political activist. He was more of an actor um, in his younger years, and now he's more of a political activist. And in 2019... He told the Times that YouTube videos had totally radicalized him against woke culture and political correctness, so you can guess what side he's on. Um, and the next year, he publicly criticized the George Floyd protests and COVID-19 vaccines, so he hit all the high points. Um, after, found, after he founded the right-wing populist political party Reclaim, he ran unsuccessfully in 2021 for London mayor in opposition to what he called extreme political correctness, and he got less than 2% of the vote. Yay. Good. He has had a regular Friday night show on GB News until earlier this month when he was suspended due to comments that he made about journalist Ava Evans, who currently works as the political correspondent for the news platform Joe. While on presenter Dan Wooten's show, Fox refused to focus on Evans' arguments and instead used his time to discuss the journalist's appearance and explain why he would ignore her in a bar. He called her a little woman and went on to say, show me a single self-respecting man that would like to climb into bed with that woman ever, ever, who wasn't an incel. We need powerful, strong, amazing women who make great points for themselves. We don't need these sort of feminist 4.0. They're pathetic and embarrassing. Who'd want to shag that? As both Fox and Dan Wooten laughed, Fox added, sorry, it's true, though. What's this guy's Dan name? Was, uh, Fox, uh, Lawrence Paul Fox. As uh, Dan Wooten was also suspended, even though GB News has refused repeatedly to investigate Wooten over separate, unrelated allegations that he used the pseudonym Martin Branding to send sexually explicit messages to former colleagues. So it sounds like this GB News thing is a mess um, and full of asshole men um, and should probably be shut down completely. That's my nine cents. Are you looking up Lawrence Fox? I want to see what he looks like. I mean, who's so hot that he can turn down... He's kind of a smallish man, it looks like. I mean, please, you know he's small. Um, <laughs> that was a penis joke, just in case That's right. any of our teen <laughs> listeners didn't catch that. I guess it doesn't matter what he looks like. I can, I can envision it. You can look him up in your own time, right? Um, yeah, so that's. I'm expecting an apology from Lawrence Fox. 
uh, any minute now. Um, now that he's been kicked off the show, they'll probably reinstate him and blah, blah, blah. Nothing will happen to him, but um, I do I expect don't know. him to I, I don't, don't know. So? Um, really? Yeah. I mean, well, let's say this. I've never heard of him, which means yeah. he's not important. So the BBC well, yeah, probably doesn't need him. But really, it's about how much revenue is he generating. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, on that front, maybe you're right. But I kind of feel sometimes like the BBC... It does it's GB it. News. It's not the BBC. Oh, dang it. Okay, never mind. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about the BBC if you like, but it's, He'll uh, be it's back. unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> be. Oh, well, that's why, why, should, why should it be any different now from any other moment in time? Talk about something completely unrelated. Why not? I'm, I'm kind of hoping that the whole um, radical right-wing thing is passing. I'm crossing my fingers and, and praying to God to. that it's passing because I don't think any... I mean, I, I'm... This is my rare streak of optimism showing up here that I don't think anything this bad can actually happen. But as we've seen in the Holocaust, bad things really do happen. So, And not only the Holocaust, unfortunately, and most of our podcast episodes we've seen, bad things really do happen. So my optimism is pretty much unfounded. But um, I'm still going to hope and pray that this nonsense comes to pass. Or passes, not comes I, to pass. I think we are nearing the end of it, if not seeing so. the end of it. Um, and we'll know in the U.S. Uh, next November. Yeah, when oh, we elect God. a new president. I mean, we've got two people that nobody can get very excited about. I mean, I guess some people get excited about Trump, but nobody's really excited about Biden. It's really just a, a matter of... Am I uh, excited about Biden or am I... Thankful for Biden, and not because we're he's not thankful. Trump. I yeah. uh, Biden will be seen by historians as a great statesman and so. as somebody who, like, he is this generation's FDR. You think? I I do, and so does strong. the New York Times, the Boston Globe. I'm making all this up. Chicago Tribune. <laughs> Argument to authority, invented authority. So, yes. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, well, on that, a positive note about Biden and the end of the right wing. Yay, regime, they're uh, gone. Let's uh, say goodbye. And don't forget to email us at Theo at ApologiesAccepted.net to win your T-shirt. And check it out, uh, the T-shirt on ApologiesAccepted.net. Again, it is a, a beautiful design, uh, one I'm very proud of on behalf of my husband. And, uh, and that's it. So stay cool cucumbers and don't trip potato chips. Bye, everyone. Bye. Listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at apologiesaccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted and on Instagram at Apologies.accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>